Hey everybody, it's Matt. So at the time of recording of the following episode, it was October. So this episode is a little bit out of date. Um, we make a couple of references that don't quite make sense. However, most of the episode is still relevant. We recorded it prior to the movie coming out, prior to most of the trailers, but hopefully you still get a lot of enjoyment out of it because we talk a lot about the book, which isn't really covered too much in the movie. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey Matt. Yeah? Who would win in a fight between Voltron, a giant Spider-Man robot, and Mechagodzilla? I don't know who would win in a fight between Voltron, a giant Spider-Man robot, and Mechagodzilla. Stay tuned to find out. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Geek and Warriors. I'm Matt. I am Keith. And joining us from Geek and Amazons. Hi, I'm Bella. I'm Mina. And we're the Geek and Legion. And today we're going to be talking to you about Ready Player One. Now, just want to let you know, we're trying to make this so that way people can enjoy it even if they haven't listened to or read the book yet, which do that. It's amazing. So the first half is going to be only light spoilers, maybe. We're going to save the big spoilers for the back half and we'll do another disclaimer then. And just to mention it, this podcast will also have some minor spoilers for the 1980 video game Zork. So to get things started, Mina... Why don't you read us a brief synopsis of Ready Player One for right. those who may not know? Can do. In the year 2044, reality is an ugly place. The only time teenage Wade Watts really feels alive is when he's jacked into the virtual utopia known as the Oasis. Wade's devoted his life to studying the puzzles hidden within this world's digital confines, puzzles that are based on their creator's obsession with the pop culture of decades past and that promise massive power and fortune to whoever can unlock them. But when Wade stumbles upon the first clue, he finds himself beset by players willing to kill to take this ultimate prize. The race is on, and if Wade's going to survive, he'll have to win and confront the real world he's always been so desperate to escape. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's so good. It is, it is my favorite book. Yeah. yeah. We got introduced to this book. I used to belong to a book club. And this was the second book we ever read for this book club. And I was about halfway through when I was like, Matt, you have to read this book. And he was like, nah, I don't know. So I read him the first chapter and he was like, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's become like this huge piece of pop culture. And then we were like, Mina, you have to read this book. And then we were like, Keith, you have to read this book. <laughs> and I think now we are all just like knee deep in Ready Player One. Yeah. And I mean, and I enjoyed the book. It took me a little bit to kind of get past the premise because a lot of the story kind of depends on the fact that I forget the name of the company, but the company behind the Oasis can't be hacked. Like, I still find it hard to believe that people wouldn't figure that Easter egg out in a matter of hours as opposed to years. Well, the thing is that almost all the programming of the Easter egg hunt was done by Halliday. So right. it wouldn't, the information on how to solve it wouldn't necessarily be on a public server. It would probably be on his private server. Halliday mm -hmm. is the creator of the Oasis. I don't know if that was mentioned in the... Yeah, James Halliday is the Halliday. person who created it. Yeah. But also, it's 2044. So there's maybe there's technology in 2044 that we currently don't have. 
Absolutely. Or he did a thing kind of like Leverage with the guy who the security was on a really old, old, old computer, which is totally something he would do so that it can't be hacked by a network. It would have to be hacked from the actual device. That's like Uh I've put like I've put the bomb diffusing instructions on this VHS this TRS-80. On, this, or, or on a VHS tape and it's like well who the hell has a VCR anymore yeah <laughs> but no but I I do agree that like it's a little hard to believe that it cannot be hacked but then again I guess it's a suspension of reality of like yeah. there's most likely either either Halliday was smart enough to put it on a super old server that mm-hmm. nobody has access to anymore or it was a private server, or we just simply don't have the technology yet. It was also established that he's a technological genius, and he spent 10 years doing it. Or this, you're you know? like me, and you don't know enough about tech to think about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So speaking <laughs> of... <laughs> I mean, this is recorded. Mean? We're recording this podcast not long after the big Equifax breach. Right. Like, people's personal information, just in general, is not that secure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't And then identity... they got put in charge of... Uh, never mind. Not gonna get into that. Isn't identity theft, like, <laughs> the number one crime in the country? I believe it. Isn't it, like, a huge thing? Because people's identities are just so easy, especially okay. in the age of social media. So getting back on Sorry. topic and, okay. and back to our structured episode that I'm trying to keep structured. I know, I know, um, I know. So, well, you know, we know about the technology of stuff like the Google Cardboard and PlayStation has it and uh, the oculus rift stuff like that but not necessarily how close it is to reaching the level of the simulation of the oasis mina uh, you did some research on this yeah i found some really great articles that specifically discussed how close we are to the technology from the books so i think what i'll do is i'll follow the setup from one of the articles and i'll go piece of technology by piece of technology and discuss how close we are to it So the first thing that comes up is the Oasis visor. And in the book, the VR visor is slightly larger than a pair of sunglasses, and it uses lasers to draw the environment right onto your retina. That does not sound safe. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't. When I realized that, I was terrified. So currently, we have the most famous visors are the Rift and the Vive or Vive. That's what um, I wasn't sure about. The Vive, it was Vive. I, I wanted to ask them that too because they actually had the, I'm going to say Vive <laughs> because it's only one syllable so it's easier. The Vive they actually had at Comic-Con this year. Okay. What it was was through DC because it was a Justice League simulation. Okay. It was really cool. Yeah. Now, it wasn't gloves, but it had things that you held in each hand. Each, okay. the, each thing had like buttons. A Wii, like a Wii remote? More like the PlayStation Move. Oh. Yes. And, and you hold it in each of your hands, and that is, like, your controllers and everything. And then you had the helmet that you put on with the headphones and the goggles and everything. And to describe what it looks like when the simulation wasn't going on, it kind of looked like the dots all over, like, what they describe in the book. Oh, yeah, when, that one planet that's all... The planet arcade that looks like yes. the old Death Star from the old yep. Star Wars game. Got it. Um, but the motions that I made because of the controllers in my hand and because of the thing on my head, which I think also might have, which obviously had an accelerometer in it also because I could look around and see stuff all around me. That sounds like a great way to get motion sickness. No, it was, <laughs> I, I, it was great. I loved it. It was a lot no, of fun. No, I don't, I don't disagree, but it just yeah. makes me, I, it sounds like I would be yeah. so I would try goggles, to get motion sickness. The goggles, the graphics were so good that it was really that was the first time that i was ever like wow i'm i'm in the oasis wow 
That sounds fancy. Yeah, so I'm sure that I'll never be able to afford it in my lifetime. I don't think that's true. I think that the pace at which this technology is accelerating, it will eventually become affordable for the home. That's a really good point. Don't they say in Ready Player One that everybody had access to Oasis? Yeah. Everyone has access, and public schools give people the baseline, obviously the most basic uh, Pfizer and haptic gloves. I mean, in elementary schools, they do stuff with iPads already. Exactly. So So I think that's their version of giving out iPads. So Matt, I guess the real question is, do you think you'll be alive in 20 years? (laughs) Um, Come back to me on that in 10 years. (laughs) That's a really great point, Mina, though about the affordability of the technology. So right now, the system you described using, Matt, and the Rift both have cables, whereas the VR and the Oasis obviously is cable-free. And there is some DIY stuff you can do to make them wireless, but it slows them down. So that's sort of like the payoff for that. Right. But then the, the immersion rigs... We're fully connected to stuff. So if you're comparing it to the full immersion rigs, obviously you're not getting the same kind of effect, but yeah. with the chairs and everything, I'm sure had That's wires. Different. Yeah, that was all connected. And I think the immersion rigs had like robotic arms. And actually, I'm going to get to a system that's similar to that. But let's finish up with the visor. So the Solon Q from AMD is wireless, but the back is very bulky. You're basically wearing a mini computer on the back of your head. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And the fanciest system I can find is the Avagant Glyph, which is small and light. And the whole point of that is to combine VR with real world things. No, oh, so, It's augmented reality. It's augmented reality. Yes. Thank you. And I think I sent you guys the video for that. I didn't get a chance to look I at the link. Yeah, I didn't watch it. But... You guys should absolutely watch it. It's very cool. We'll put it on um, social think... media too. Yeah. yeah. That's the most advanced system that I found for visors. And that's the one that you strap to your head? That is, is, it's very small, actually. I have here that in size and weight, it's similar to a large pair of headphones. Oh, okay. I was thinking of, like, a, like a processor, like, strapped to the back of your head. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next up is haptic gloves. Yeah. And so, obviously, the whole point of these gloves is to mimic the sensations that you are supposed to experience in the game. So, there's a few of these. You've got the Kickstarter-funded Glove 1, which has a tiny motor on each fingertip and five on the palm. And then they vibrate at different frequencies and intensities to stimulate touch sensation. Bella, get your mind out of the gutter. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Mina, continue. And so the Hands Omni is developed at Rice University in Texas, and it uses small air bladders in the fingertips, which inflate, and they use pressure to simulate the effect of touching objects. But the most realistic system is the CyberGlove Systems Haptic Workstation. This is the one that has robotic arms. Oh, And those, yeah, though it's like this massive rig, and the robotic arms create resistance. But this was actually not developed for gaming. It's for use in the automobile and aerospace industries. Wow. But in what capacity? I don't know. I don't understand. Like for when you're remote testing controlling things. things. Oh. Remote controlling things and in the testing process. Oh, so like so testing you can a... see what it feels like. Oh, so like instead of having like a flesh and blood like pilot testing things. Yeah. Oh. 
or you would put this system on and it would be like you were actually driving a car or flying a plane and the robotic arms would be creating the resistance that you have to put up with. So it's, it's less like, like testing out a new thing and more like a very advanced like flight simulator. Probably. I think so. Or you know what also I thought of? It's also kind of reminds me of like the future of self-driving cars. The other cool thing I found, which I also sent you the video, which I'm assuming you also didn't watch, is You don't know my life. (laughs) The Hapto clone. And I highly recommend that you Google the Hapto clone and watch the video. H-A-P-T-O? H-A-P-T-O clone. Clone. Got it. Uh, it's based on the Connect 2, and what it does is it maps your hands, and then it sends blasts of ultrasound where your hand and the virtual object meets. So if you watch the video, it's pretty cool. They clone an object, and then your hand will touch the cloned object, and it will move the real object in another compartment. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. It's terrifying. If you watch the video, okay. it's so scary. Then, it's very creepy. Then my instincts were correct. but it's also pretty awesome the fact that this technology exists somewhere out there so we're actually like really close to this technology absolutely all we need is the immersive universe to take its place right so let's get to the universe matthew we had this conversation yes on the twitch yes the closest thing we have to the oasis universe is no man's sky womp womp Bum, bum, I would think Second Life comes in closer, doesn't it? Yeah, I've well, I mean in terms life. of size. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. In terms of size, the Oasis is said to have thousands of 3D worlds to explore, and each one of them is meant to be different. No Man's Sky was said to have 18 quintillion worlds. What? That's yeah. a big number. Yeah. It's a huge number, and the game didn't require much memory because it used procedural generation and complicated algorithms to sort of draw as you went along. Yeah, the problem with that being that they weren't able to follow through with their promise of multiplayer when the game dropped. I never said this game was perfect. (laughs) I remember a lot of people were (laughs) Right. Within a month, the trade-in value of No Man's Sky was like $2. Oh, God. Yeah. What I could see, there wasn't actually like a game there <laughs> no there was it was but it was like trying to find the middle of the universe it was it was not very i oh. i liked it at first because i'm the kind of person that when i open up a new game i am completely content with the grind just going in and doing the same repetitive tasks over and over again to give me a gear and currency advantage for end game tasks you and i are very different gamers sir <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing about no man's sky those algorithms that they created are huge. That's extremely important because that means that you can have this massive universe without needing as much memory as we currently do. So if they can take those algorithms that they created and improve the game, that's the oasis right there. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. The only problem with using that kind of algorithm though is if it's a randomly generated algorithm as you explore then how would that translate into a combined universe? Because then it would still need all that memory because anything that's randomly generated would have to then be uploaded into some sort of cloud server so that way those same planets that are found are there for every other user. So that's what I don't know about No Man's Sky. Could you visit the same planet twice? I went back to the same planet a couple times. You could even name planets that you went to for the first time. The problem was... People would go around and they would end up in the same... When the game first came out, they said that you that it would be multiplayer. 
Like in the, okay. in the EU, they had to issue massive refunds because That's they actually right. were the subject of a lawsuit for false advertising because they made it seem like it was this big Oasis-like thing. I thought they won that That's, that's what, I know that there was massive refunds given. It might have been an out-of-court settlement right. or something like that, but I know that they were under a lot of scrutiny because they made it seem like you would be able to play with your friends and everything, and within the first day, what they said was impossible happened. Two people ended up in the exact same sector of space. And guess what they didn't oh. see? Wow. Each other. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, well... No Man's Sky was a valiant effort, but a massive fail. I believe they added stuff to it, so I don't know if they've made it multiplayer. I, I know that they recently did some updates to it, but I, I think that they're going to have to really do something that knocks it out of the park mm -hmm. to get anyone to give them another chance. I really thought The Oasis was the worst video game I'd be talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Matt got No Man's Sky and I was watching him play it and I'm like, but what do you do? Yeah, I was Pretty there much. for that, yeah. and I had the Pretty same much. thought. I was like, you just you just keep traveling and seeing planets. And it was visually stunning, I will oh, say yeah. that. Yeah, but I that's a not a game. And it wasn't even like it was perfectly done, because there were points when you would mine through a section and all of a sudden end up off of the map, and you'd have to just kind of move around and try to find a spot where something yes. that was graphically in the center of the planet would allow you to climb up out of it. It was ridiculous. I think maybe it was a little too ambitious. Yeah. The problem. Yeah. I think but they, I mean, it that also... kind of ambition will lead to, to further... Absolutely. Yeah. It's like they rushed production almost. Absolutely. Exactly. Like and The Sims is more well thought out. Something else that you have to think about, though, with No Man's Sky is that it was programmed by, like, five people. Mm. It was a very, very small company right. with very, very few people, and it was a massive triumph for people working on that scale. It okay. just fell short of the game that everyone wanted. So, gonna change gears a little bit here. I really liked, Keith, you had an idea of something to talk about that I thought was really interesting, and it was the juxtaposition of the fact that the setting of the book is in a dystopia, and everyone is obsessed with 80s pop culture, and I do think that's a really interesting juxtaposition. I agree. Just to go into the plot of the book a little bit, James Halliday, the creator of the Oasis, he dies, and then he announces that he hid an Easter egg somewhere in the Oasis, and whoever finds it gets his 200 plus billion dollar fortune. And to find it, you need to be into stuff that James Halliday was into, which is all stuff from the 80s. So as people, you know, dig into the Oasis and dig into all of James Halliday's interests to try and find this Easter egg, everyone becomes obsessed with the 80s to the point where people can recite movies from the 80s line for line. People know just the most minute details about things that happened 60 years prior, and I just find that fascinating. I think my favorite part about that is that James Halliday was so obsessed with everyone liking what he liked that they mentioned in the book i think ogden says that james would get angry if people weren't into what he was he into. fired people for when he'd make a reference and they wouldn't get it is there a theory that there's a theory that he's on the spectrum yeah there that's what i was trying to get at i was like that definitely sounds like mm -hmm. wait a second something did, on the spectrum did anyone read ready player one and not think that james holiday was on the spectrum somewhere i mean i mean i thought it I definitely I thought it, but only because I know people on the spectrum yeah. that I was like, that sounds like something mm -hmm. they would do. Absolutely. I mean, it's and not in a bad way. I'm not saying that no, in a bad no. way either. It's possible to read something and see a character and infer that they could be on the spectrum without it being mm -hmm. problematic. Because mm -hmm. I mean, he's a genius. 
Yeah. So he it's is. clearly not meant to be insulting. It's just a fact. The way he fixated on certain topics made it seem like he was on the spectrum. And the book itself, they say that there were theories that he was on the spectrum. Okay, so and, there and is. Also, so it is canon that Holiday may have been on the spectrum. Yeah. Okay. So with the '80s culture and the dystopia, I just I hadn't thought about it until you brought that up, Keith. But yeah, I love that because the '80s everything was about dystopia. Mm-hmm. But it was also a time of excess. The mm-hmm. '80s. I mean, you could find a time of excess in most decades. (laughs) I know, but the 80s did a lot of coke. Like, lots of coke. Mm -hmm. A lot of shoulder pads. A lot of of aerosol hairspray. Yeah. Exactly. Everything was over the top. Let yourself glow. (laughs) No, coming to America reference? No? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sexual chocolate. (laughs) the 80s was also a time of like huge economic growth at the same time of like this dismal world outlook i I feel like i feel like a lot of the cold war in the 80s yeah right yes the cold war yeah because reagan yeah reagan duh so you had this interesting of like everything about the 80s was like go 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 making money stock Mm -hmm. market and then we're all good i'm an 80s guy yeah but like so so it's (laughs) <laughs> Reaganomics. It's interesting that that's the decade that everybody is obsessed yeah. with. And it's it's at a time when the world is falling apart and everyone disappears into either drugs or the oasis, which is a sort of drug. It's interesting, mm-hmm. like, if you look like the late 70s, early 80s, with Happy Days and Grease, there, there was a period where people were obsessed with the 50s. Oh, yeah, yes. absolutely. And then in the 90s, everybody was obsessed with the 70s. Mm-hmm. I remember Granny, you know, the Granny sunglasses and peace signs coming mm-hmm. back in the 90s. Yeah. It's also, like, really interesting that, like, we've done, like, almost a circle that in 2044, the 80s are coming back. Yeah, and I think it's interesting <laughs> that the excess that people are experiencing is all generated. It's all mm. fake. It's all computerized in this book. So, Although one of my favorite touches was that Wade mentions that when he's at a pizza parlor... He could technically order a pizza in the Oasis and have it delivered in real life. And the fact that it can be there within minutes, I want to live in that universe. Right? Absolutely. I'm all about that part of the Oasis. Yes, please. It only just dawned on me now that the obsession is specifically with 80s white culture. Like, there was a lot going on with, like, hip-hop and stuff in the 80s that doesn't shine through holidays, you know, interests at all. Because it's Halliday's interests, and he's a skinny white nerd who's into D&D. He wouldn't be interested in hip-hop culture. Fair enough. Like, the entire point of this book is that, well, I made note of it, Anorex Almanac is treated like a Bible. It has chapters and verses. Yep. So if you look mm-hmm. at it that way, Halliday is their religious figure. So whatever he was into is what they're into. Call your dad, you're in a cult. <laughs> exactly. In fact, at one point, let me see how I can say this without any spoilers. Wade mentions that he's obsessed with the Oasis and he replaces that obsession with a different obsession that I won't discuss right now. Uh-huh. But it's obsession. That's- we'll talk about it in the spoilery yeah. And at one point, he also mentions, he says he doesn't believe in organized religion, but he pretty much outright says the Oasis is his religion, and it's somewhat hypocritical of him to not believe in it. Yeah, I mean, and that goes along with something else that I had written down here. When he's talking about the stuff that he has in-game, he wants to feel like he has something. So he talks about that mm-hmm. stuff in the first person. My sword, my shield, mm-hmm. my ship. But whenever he talks about the character, he's fully aware that Parzival is a virtual character. He talks about Parzival as a third-person thing, but he talks about all the stuff that Parzival owns as I have this, I have that. So it's fabricated wealth. Yes. 
It's monopoly money. It's monopoly money. money. Actually, it's more like Bitcoin. Yeah, but it's the same way you can make your avatar look however you want your avatar to look. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you don't like your body, you make an avatar that you think is physically perfect. Yep. Which is, again, it's so dangerous and just speaks to how the Oasis is like a drug. But the real world is awful. They've got a three-decade economic recession. They have a shortage on natural resources. They're stacking trailers on top of each other. They're they're stacking trailers because there's no more space. Which they actually used to do. There's pictures of trailer parks in the 50s that have trailers stacked on top of each other. I did not know that. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. It's pretty crazy. That's fairly terrifying. Yeah, so, yeah, Wade mentions the global energy crisis, and they've used up almost all of their fossil fuels. I also want to point out that that three decades long economic recession would put them in right now. Ugh. Oh, no. Why would you say that? Too dark, Matt. <laughs> Way too dark. Too dark too soon. Way to, way to play your trump card. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so to close out this section of the spoiler-free section, I'm going to allot, let's say, two minutes to yes. Keith right now, Keith, okay? Keith has the floor. Keith, Keith is going to have the floor because <laughs> there is a part in the book where one character refers to with another character that they would settle their arguments with a certain game because I don't want to spoil stuff that's happening, uh, you know, in the main plot. But then they said after a while, they stopped doing that and they started settling their arguments with Street Fighter 2. Go. So they're talking about the other game that we can't talk about because of spoilers. And then he says, yeah, well, well, now we settle our arguments with Street Fighter 2. Okay, which one? <laughs> you know, there were five arcade versions of Street Fighter 2 and then a whole bunch more on console. But he's, you know, clearly an arcade purist. So we're dealing with those first five. Is he playing the, the classic champion edition? Is he playing the, the sped up uh, hyper fighting? Is he playing the, the latest uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which was the most uh, competitively played game in the Street Fighter 2 series? And like, yeah, this seems like just minor trivial stuff that like people generally know what Street Fighter 2 is. He doesn't have to specify a version, but with the depth of knowledge that these characters show for all these minute for all these different things like there's a game they play in the end where they take advantage of a glitch that is only present in that specific release of the game like the these guys know they do so much research and they know every little detail like if wade had done even the slightest bit of research on street fighter 3 he would know names like alex valle daigo umehara justin wong so it's a, it just seems like a really blatant omission for me that's amazing <laughs> Horrific. Oh, boy. (laughs) Although, I will say, the character that knows the game-breaking glitch is neither of the two characters that settle the arguments. That's true. Mm, That is a good point. I thought they all knew it, at least at some point, and she just reminded them. No, they had no idea, because Wade didn't really do this game much. That's right. Because of a glaring lack of understanding, because the person who knew it had experience in the field that would... Uh, okay, spoilers from here on out. There we so go. Let's, so let's go. The spoilers are here. At the sound of the buzzer, shit's going to get spoiled. <laughs> Artemis knew that about Tempest because she majored in poetry and writing when she was in college. That's oh, what, right. And so that's why she studied that. So the reason that she knew about that was because she was obsessed with Tempest because of a little piece of information that she knew because of her college major. 
However, I completely agree it's a glaring omission, and that's why I wanted to allot time for you to rant about it, because I was nowhere near as qualified to do that right now. I'm glad I got to hear that. Yeah. Because that is a valid point. So now let's bring the whole room down, and let's talk about <laughs> some of the problematic shit that exists in this book. Cracking my nose. What is this, Geek and Amazon? I know. <laughs> it's what is this, a crossover episode? <laughs> I mean, it is. So, okay. Okay. This is the first one that came across for me. I hit a certain point when I was listening to the book this week, because I listened to it for probably my 20th time this week, and I got really fixated on something that actually had a conversation with Bella about, and then I had a conversation with Mina about it a day or two <laughs> later, because they are my guide when I'm like, am I crazy for being annoyed by this? But they have the main characters, you know, they start getting all of these promotion deals and endorsements and crap like that the first thing that they say about artemis is is a freaking clothing line and bella and i when we spoke about this you mentioned it could be an empowerment thing because finding plus size clothing is really hard and i get that but i think taking the only character that at that point in the book that we know is female and having her have a clothing line is so freaking diminutive it irritates me it so does, much but at the same time like, a lot of women, once they reach a certain amount of fame, a lot of them do do a clothing line. Yeah, but, so, Rebel but this, Wilson, is, this, this is, is what's so sad about clothing, this. Though. Right, that's what's so sad about this, is that today, if you're a female in the sort of geek community, that's the sort of stuff you have to do. That's the stuff you end up doing in order to make money. The sad part is that this book is set in 2044, and that's still the case. Yeah. Okay, I can understand I think that. that's the problem. Yeah. And, Matt, what did you say? You said, is it diminutive that she has a clothing line, or is it empowering that it's plus-sized? And I said, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> both things can be true. Both of those things. <laughs> Wait, so I, we just talked about how I just read the book, and I actually, as I was reading it, I'd actually, like, write the page number and take notes. So the fun thing is that I have right here a map of how creepy Wade is. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Would you like yes. to go on this journey? Oh, you mean you mean in? his replacement religion? Sorry? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's in there. Okay, so <laughs> it starts out, Wade saves screenshots that Artemis posts of her avatar. So she'll post screenshots of herself on her blog, and he saves them. Okay, Ugh. and then... Page 87, he meets her, and of course the first thing he talks about is her rockin' bod. But then again, he it's a plus-size body that he thinks has a rockin' bod, so... Which is awesome. also a yeah. teenager. I'm not, I'm not... Well, I mean, I'm not well, excusing it, but the fact that, like, she's a... she's Even her avatar is a bigger girl, and he's, like, totally... Yeah, like, yes. super into it. Well, yeah. Keith, here's the conversation Belinda and I have had repeatedly. Mm -hmm. It is one thing if your character is problematic. It's another if you, as the author... Don't address that. Yeah. And that is never addressed. And so, when he talks about the screenshots, is that before or after he is able to quote the month, day, and year that she posted a certain thing because that's how obsessive he was about her? Um, <laughs> the, the, the date is before or the, or, or the screenshots before? The screenshots is one of the very first things that he says. Okay, yeah, because the fact that he remembers <laughs> such... But it's, he could also okay. he could also recite Anorak's Almanac like at the drop of a hat. Yes, so. but that is leading to billions of dollars. To end, Monty Python's uh, Holy Grail beginning yeah. to end. Like he has 
just like that kind of memory. He was able to do a perfect game of Pac-Man. Like even if you know how to do it, like the mechanical skill involved is for that is nearly superhuman. Like, but all yeah. of that was in for the service of pursuing hundreds of billions of dollars. Okay, Artemis. It was because boobies. Okay. And also, Matthew, we talked about how his two obsessions are interchangeable. And in this case, those obsessions are the Oasis and Artemis. And when we were talking, I brought up something from How I Met Your Mother, which is the Dahmer-Dobbler effect. When you do (laughs) obsessive things, whether or not it's romantic or creepy AF, is the person who is the object of the Mm -hmm. intense affection. Artemis was into it. So the book didn't address the creepy because Dobbler. But when she tried to distance herself and he stands outside her planet holding Peter Gabriel music over his head, (laughs) Dahmer. She said go away. That's the Dahmer effect. Yeah, I know. It's... Okay, I'll give you that. That's, that's, yep, yep, yep. Let me ask you guys yeah. this, because, I mean, we're talking about spoilers now. He gets Artemis in the end, or at least that's what's heavily implied. You know, they meet in person, and yeah. I forget if they yeah, actually, she kiss. actually kisses him. She actually kisses him. She right? kisses yeah, him. Right. That's together. one thing that I feel like was nicely done, yeah. because if he kissed her, we wouldn't know exactly. here's how reciprocated it was. Right, well, well, my question is, do we feel like he actually, you know, earned her companionship, or that the author just kind of presented her to him for completing his quest and winning the game. I think she was a prize at the end yeah. of the quest. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's confirmed that Ernest Klein is writing a sequel. I would actually love to see is that in the sequel that they're not together. <laughs> Me too. That would break I would like heart. to be like, that was a cool <laughs> thing when we were teenagers, but we are now adults. Now we need a healthy relationship. Or, yeah. or they fix, you know the way that they were with each other because there are a lot of people who go overboard when they're younger. Now, I agree. She was treated like a prize, but I mean, wasn't that half the reason why he worked so hard at that point? Because he was willing to throw away the egg, everything, but then she's like, no, we barely know each other. We're doing this thing. So Mm -hmm. I feel like him getting the Easter egg, it wasn't just the one obsession. It was a conflux of both of his obsessions because he had to succeed in one to have a chance with the other. And I'm assuming he followed through and shared his wealth with H, Artemis, and uh, Daito. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Also, like... Was it Daito or Shoto at the end? It was Shoto. Shoto. Because Matt made that terrible pun. Daito. Think about it. Daito. Yeah. Oh. Also, like... That it was bad. <laughs> also, like... Terrible. Wade just won a huge, unimaginable... Mm-hmm. Wouldn't mm-hmm. you kiss him too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, you're rich now, baby. No, <laughs> he's rich too. They specifically say it. He was like, I am rich. But then again, so are you. Mm, still, it's like. He, he explicitly says that. But also, he's the most famous person in the Oasis and in the world. Yeah. What I would find interesting in the sequel is after the process of the lawsuits with IOI, which we'll get more into, obviously, because we've got so much to talk about. What was the IOI guy's name again? Uh, it wasn't like, it began with a C, I think. Uh, Sorrento. Sorrento. Nolan Sorrento. Sorrento. Yeah, Sorrento. It, can I just say that it breaks my heart that he's not being played in the movie by Alan Iverson? I don't think I know. Because he's played, he's from one of the most famous Sixer. Like the 76ers. Oh. It's a basketball joke. Oh, that's why I went way over my head. Okay. <laughs> 
Thanks, Keith. I try. Oh, I'm sorry. So one last thing I wanted to bring up about how the female characters are treated. And this is why the book is problematic. It's not just Wade. When they are describing Halliday's youth with Ogden Morrow and his D&D club and everyone's in love with Ogden's future wife, she is described as the quintessential geek girl. So I feel like a running theme in this book is, and Wade mentions it repeatedly, is, oh, cute geek girls are cute. And that, I feel like, is one of the most diminutive parts of the whole book. It does treat women kind of like the grand prize, Mm -hmm. almost. We find it at the end, too, that, like, Halliday really was into Og's wife. Mm -hmm. And, like, wasn't her name the password that... Yes. Yep. Was like the the emergency break. Yep. Leukosia. Yes. That's creepy behavior too. Yeah. That is creepy. It is creepy behavior. Women mm-hmm. are constantly objectified in this book and they are constantly treated as sort of like the prize for the male protagonist. Ogden and Halliday stopped talking because of her. And also like it's even more disappointing considering that women in the gaming industry are still to this day being treated like utter shit. Yep, exactly. Gamergate. That's all I have to say. So in 2044, women are still being treated like shit by the gaming community. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean... The video game culture is so messed up in this day and age. Like there was yeah. recently Wolfenstein, which has been a series yes. of games that I believe the original Wolfenstein 3D took place during like in Germany during World War II. But the modern Wolfenstein series takes place in an alternate universe where the Nazis successfully invaded America and you're fighting Nazis within the United States. So they're, they they tweeted, make America Nazi free again because you're... Mm-hmm killing Nazis in the United States in this fictional game and people took that as an actual political statement and got offended. So gaming culture is so messed up at this point. Which, by the way, in honor of that ridiculousness, keep an eye out on our social media because led by Keith, and I'm going to be part of the conversation as well, Geek End Legion on the Geek End Warriors Twitch will be doing a full playthrough of the new Wolfenstein because down with Nazis. I definitely want to watch that. Channel my inner bear Jew. Going back to the women, if I may, because I like women. Actually, cut that out, please. Nope. Nope. Staying in. All right. um, It's your first awkward sentence that's being left in an episode. Congratulations. You've really been uh, blood in now. There you go. You know, talking about how women are like the prize and you know, the whole male objectification thing. How does H fit into that? Uh, that is something that I want to talk about as well, because yes. did anyone explicitly say the H thing yet for this? In case Nope. No. Okay, so if you're listening to this part of the episode and you have not read the book, first of all, why? We warned you. We warned you. We warned you. It's essentially your fault. <laughs> the character of H, which throughout the beginning of this book, almost until like the, towards the very end with the big climax, you don't find out that H, who was portrayed as a white male, Bella? H is a black woman. A queer black woman. A queer black woman. <laughs> black woman. <laughs> I like that they actually had that, like her mom had said, you yep. know, if you want to be able to get ahead, like in 30 years, they still need to do this shit. Yep. And I... I Yep, 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 yep. I mean, okay, I will say one thing. I did not have any inkling. No. I had no idea. Yeah, that H was anything but what the Avatar looked like. I had no inkling until maybe the second before he revealed it. And can I just say also really quick, in the movie, she's being played by Lena Waithe who people may know, she's Denise. Uh, she's I love Denise her. in Master of None. She and She just recently won a just, Emmy. She became the first black woman to win a comedy writing yes. Emmy. And Damn. she's hilarious and funny 
and a great actress, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Also, from the picture that. that I've seen of her, she does kind of have a Cheshire grin. She does. Yes. She's got a great smile. Yep. But and now here's the thing that I'm grappling with. Another thing that I'm grappling with on the, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because on one hand, terrific. They wrote the character in a way that it doesn't make it obvious that the character is actually a queer woman of color. But I feel like the only reason that that's the case is because Ernest Cline just wrote a white man up until the point that H wasn't a white man anymore. But at the same time, nothing about H's speech changed. Essentially, it was the same exact character, except the pronouns changed. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Like, he didn't give her, like, a black scent. Which is higher pitch, I think, other than that, it was completely exactly (laughs) the same. Yeah, so I will give him that that literally nothing except the gender and the color of her skin changed and essentially was treated the exact same way. All right, but let me read his description of her. Okay. I didn't know how I felt about this. So this is when he first sees her. Uh, so a heavyset African-American girl sat in the RV's driver's seat. She was about my age with short, kinky hair and chocolate-colored skin that appeared iridescent. She was wearing a vintage Rush... 2112 concert t-shirt and the numbers were warped around her large bosom. I hate that word. Fetishization. I think so too. I hate the word bosom. And I feel like he was going for, you know, accepting but instead landed on the same thing that Wade always lands on. Mm -hmm. Creepy. Boobs. Boobs. Big old boobs and chocolate skin. First of all, I have heard from several people of color that describing their skin tone with food is not great and speaking as a white person i can't yeah personally vouch for this because i'm you know i'm not but i have heard that it is it is considered offensive because it's objectification and i think Mm -hmm. it's not done to white people and that's the problem Mm -hmm. Um, mayonnaise (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I stared at her mayonnaise skin. Yeah, no one says that. <laughs> that that rice pudding complexion. And kinky, kinky hair. hair. And like the thing is also like it's almost beating a dead horse because you've already explained that she is a large African American woman. Right. I think we can take it from there. Yeah. But oh, then again, kinky, are you thinking hair. kinky uh, as a sexualized term? Because it literally means like the way that the hair is. Super, yeah. super like, curly. Yeah, a lot curly yeah. and stuff. Uh, synonyms are a thing apparently. <laughs> Not synonyms, homonyms. <laughs> oh man, I, I, you finally you finally found your way to the word. It's a miracle whip. <laughs> Don't spread yourself too thin. Um, I think I'll, another thing that this book does very poorly is over-explaining things. So yeah, yeah. And the fact that he's already said she's a large African-American girl and then go on to explain that she's got quote-unquote chocolate skin and a large bosom. I still hate that word. People always bitch about the word panties. I am not here for the word bosom. Um, <laughs> so it's like, okay, you've already said large African-American woman. We get it. Move it along, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, he gets he gets. Then he a, follows he it up a... with the song I'm Black, y'all, playing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he gets a gold star for trying yeah i see the book does do a lot of things right but Mm -hmm. but we're not here for 
patting on the back. You know, this is this is a legion episode. We we gotta we gotta do it right, and and Amazons don't give participation credits. No, this book is what happens when you try without doing your research and doing your due diligence. Mm. This is what happens when a straight white male writes a POC character and exactly. doesn't speak to POC exactly. uh, writers to get help with mm-hmm. how to write them. I mean, with, which I... is a great way to go into another thing that is super problematic. To me, again, I know that there are ways that you can explain this. I but think I know where you're going. You, you know exactly this, where I'm yeah. going. We talked about this the other day. I don't like the way that he wrote Daito and Shoto. Yeah. I think that they're written as Japanese caricatures, and I understand I that they were shut-ins, and I understand that they were big about their heritage, and there are people that are like that. But everything that they do screams, look at me, I'm the quiet samurai character with the angry brother, and we're going to be obsessed with exactly what you expect because my character only has to have two dimensions. I mean, that's even the character that sacrifices themselves. At one point, doesn't he say, I don't think he committed seppuku? That's, no one yes. That is an exact line from the no book. No one does that. That's not a thing anymore. No, that's it's not. That's not even an option. No, like, not. why even bring that up? It's absolutely ridiculous. And there's even a couple of instances of in-game bowing, which I know is still something that's part of the culture. That's very big in Japanese culture, bowing. I think that it wasn't written because he understood their culture. It was no, written I will give because... You that. I saw that on a TV show once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll give you that. I will say, I very briefly, I did study Japanese. We had a whole unit on bowing properly, and my professor was Japanese, and he made sure we knew how to bow properly and the different depths of the bows and whether or not to clasp our hands. That's pretty awesome. So bowing is still a thing. Right. And maybe he bowed because in-game, Parzival is a higher rank than he is. He's number one on the scoreboard. Okay. So I'm in no way excusing this. Yeah. I'm just saying that my very little knowledge as a white person yeah. of Japanese culture, that's still a thing. But I also don't think he knew any of that. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly, you know, if we saw okay. that in the context of a really well-written, yeah. dynamic character, mm-hmm. then I would see that as exactly what it is. When I see it written by the person who has made some big, culturally inappropriate faux pas, mm-hmm. I see it as a gimmick and not mm-hmm. as an appreciation of exactly, the culture. Exactly, exactly. So um, the the big, glaring instance of um, uh, of transphobia. Oh, no. In which Wade is saying, um, are you a female who has never undergone a sex change operation? Problematic yep. AF. hmm Yeah, that, that line makes my skin crawl. Yeah, it, it like, every, and I knew that the, every time, I know when the line is coming, I've listened to it a billion times, and, and I'm just like, this last time I listened to it, I hit the button <laughs> to skip forward 30 seconds when it was coming up. So I didn't have to listen to it. The way he worded it does acknowledge that trans women are women. He doesn't say, like, are, are you a no. man who has gone to Just the fact that you brought it up is mm. a problem. It's uh, cisgender gatekeeping. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Good way to put it. So anyone have anything else problematic they want to add? Because I, I want to have fun for the rest of the episode. I already got the Street Fighter <laughs> ranked out. Yeah, I think I'm problematic. Okay, so... Nina, no you're not. <laughs> yeah, aren't we going to be recording an episode of Amazon soon? You're definitely not problematic doubt. <laughs> so, okay, moving forward, Mina, Keith, this was your idea, but I know that you said that you weren't, that you didn't have time to be able to research this one as much. So what we have next is uh, Parzival and the Hero's Journey. 
Oh boy, I haven't talked about the hero's journey in a while. No, we so, we did talk about it on our on our Star Wars episode. Yes. I gave a that really... was a long time ago. Lady. I know. I'm also just plugging our Star Wars episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Plug away. I enjoyed that Star Wars episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, the post production was phenomenal. Mm. <laughs> was it? So <laughs> was it though? No. So the hero's journey. The editing journey was okay. Was a concept put forward by joseph campbell and it's basically the commonplace bare bones story that comes across in lord of the rings and harry potter and most famously in star wars and actually i have the outline right here I so you have as well are you on the writer's journey uh, page no i'm on the <laughs> wikipedia hero's journey page nah. <laughs> i did lots of research on this so you've got these Generic characters, you've got the hero, you've got the mentor, sometimes you have a love interest. And the basic story is the known is the beginning, which is the call to adventure. That's obviously where the adventure starts. And then the unknown is once they go through their transformation. So call to adventure, supernatural aid, threshold guardians, and then you go to the unknown, the threshold. That's where they begin their transformation. And that's when they work with their mentor and their helper. That's when they face their challenges. That's when... Wait, I'm sorry. Do you hear a dog snoring? I did yes. hear that. I didn't. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so loud. All right, so challenges and temptations is what they go through. Then boom, death and rebirth. That's when they meet. They find their revelation. They're transformed. They atone. And then they go back to the known. And that's when they return home. And that's every... That's Star Wars. That's Luke... Getting the message from Leia through R2-D2, that's the call to adventure. He goes into the threshold, the unknown. He meets Obi-Wan. He goes through everything. He, The abyss, death, rebirth, the revelation, that's when he finds out who his father is and he finds out about the Force. And then transformation with Yoda. And then he atones and then he returns. He returns home? He returns home. Yeah. Uh, at the end. Uh, Wade and Luke Skywalker both have their aunt murdered. Aww. Yeah, only one of them was really sad about it, though. Yeah. Yeah, Wade's aunt's a bitch. <laughs> it's funny, I'm actually... I was I, I looked up a, an infographic about the hero's journey, and the phrasing is slightly different. And Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it is two sides of the same coin for what from what you were saying, but... I almost feel like this one... Is that the one with the liminal? This is the one that shows ordinary world on top, special world on bottom. Oh, yeah, that's the known and the unknown. Right, but I don't know why, but the... uh, Like, this one includes refusing the call. Oh, interesting. It's got ordinary world, call to adventure, refusing the call, meeting the mentor. Because sometimes these things change. Well, no, I mean, it's not... It's just a description of the thing. And then it's got crossing the threshold into the special world, tests allies and enemies, the approach, obviously... Ordeal, death, and rebirth. Who is the mentor in Ready Player One? Anorak. He's he's Anorak, a he's yeah. an offline mentor. Exactly. He's he's mentoring him through the all. He's like an omnipotent. Um, yeah, omnipresent. Omnipresent. Yeah. <laughs> um, reward seizing slash seizing seizing the sword, which is him going in and actually getting mm-hmm. the egg, and then the road back, which is him leaving the oasis. Mm-hmm. And then the resurrection and return with elixir. I would almost say is you know him coming back to the real world outside of the digital and going and seeing Artemis, what closes it out. Okay. 
But it's funny because they both, the one that you had and the one that I found were very similar, mm-hmm. but they cover different parts. I liked it. I liked it a lot. That was fun. We can Maybe we can post these images too, actually. Oh yeah, absolutely. Send them to me. So let's, uh, let's talk about one more thing. Well, a couple more things. Wow, this is going to be a long episode. So next is talking about the Oasis as a simulation. Mm-hmm. The goods, the bads. I do think it's interesting how in this dystopian you know, society that there's an actual economy in this simulation and in, in this oasis where people can yeah. actually work and exchange currency and hold meetings and all this stuff. Like you can be dirt poor in the real world, but be a millionaire in the oasis, mm-hmm. which is so weird. I don't. Well, I mean, I've experienced that playing The Sims, but... <laughs> that's actually true. I feel like... I had a hot tub in every room. Like, no, it's, it's I not. I feel like real-world wealth and Oasis wealth were fairly linked, actually. Yeah, they're, they're really? absolutely commensurate because he had no money, which is why oh, yeah. he had the default skin on. He had the, the black shirt and the blue jeans with a low-level shield and sword. So when he found the first gate, Artemis, who was more well-known because she was all over, and she lives in a house in a suburban area in Canada. Mm-hmm. So she's obviously more, comes from a more financially stable family. And she was able to find it sooner. She was, she had better gear. She was able to beat the Lich in a battle because she had to fight the Lich. Whereas Wade, if he hadn't been able to beat Joust, he would have had to start from the beginning. He would have had to make a new avatar because he would not have been able to beat the Lich in a battle. So he had to do it in a more cerebral way. He had to use knowing where all the traps were, and he had Mm -hmm. to already be good at Joust. The only reason that he became rich and famous in the game, which also translated to being able to live on his own and move to an area where he could have a direct uh, connection to GSS, is because of the fact that he became more wealthy in-game. So so I'm guessing maybe the economy in in, in the Oasis is like PayPal? Almost, no, it's like Bitcoin, it's like, digital currency. Yeah. But can Bitcoin can be used for real stuff? Not yet, I don't think. Okay. I mean, it can, but not through legitimate means. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin is still like a mystery to me, so. <laughs> it's most of us. It's digital currency. Speaking of which, you talked about how we moved to another location to so we could have a direct connection in GSS. Did anyone notice in the trailer where it says that he's from Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, that bugs me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't catch that. That bugs me. It's yeah. a movie based yeah, he... on a book. We're not, it's not going to be. Yeah, yeah Mina... but that's a pretty big, that's part of his hero's journey. But they're going to have to cut stuff yeah. out. One of the first things I asked was if it's going to be just one movie for this book, because there's a lot of information in this book. Yeah, that, that Mina and I were talking about that, but also, but like. I could have done like one movie per key. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd probably watch all of those. Ready but Player then... One Bronze, Ready Player One Jade, and Ready Player One See, Crystal. we already made it better. Uh, Ready Player One Copper Scrub. What did I say? <laughs> bronze you said bronze oh yeah but also here's here's also the thing one of the things like i like i mentioned earlier is that (laughs) one of the things that i mentioned earlier is that it's a ready player one is a really wordy book that's true it's very word very little of the book is dialogue Mm. and action so i feel like a ton of what we think because like Mina, how long is the book? Like 300 370, pages? I think. Okay, I guarantee you yeah. 300 of those pages is like just describing shit. Well, like, <laughs> I, I would say <laughs> describing female bodies. Yeah. And 30 pages of it is scoreboards. <laughs> but like, but so, so like visual stuff, you could take a paragraph of text and it could translate into one minute of screen time. You're right. Yeah, you're also, right. 
with the scoreboard, I feel like he could have gotten across. I mean, he did. He described what the scoreboard looked like after putting the text of the scoreboard on like an entire page. It was, it was, it, you know what it was? The, the book wasn't long enough. So we went back, he made it double spaced. He changed it to 13 point font and he added the scoreboard. So my, to my point is, is that action sequences that take maybe six pages to describe. When I took a screenwriting class, we were told one minute per page. You know, one page of dialogue is one minute of screen time. I like, mean, the whole description of the fight at Castle Anorak, I mean, that was that was pages long, but yeah, the because, actual battle, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be uh, drawn out because it's going to be an epic battle scene. Absolutely. But to do the things that need to be done that's described on the page, it's not going to take as long. And a lot of his describing is he's describing what old computers look like. Yeah, so okay. I see your point, Mina. I mean, I guarantee that they're going to leave tons of stuff out, but at the same time, it's such a wordy mm -hmm. book that you're like, come on, get to mm -hmm. the point. You're right. <laughs> and I, I trust Spielberg. That is true. I do feel confident. Also, in speaking of Spielberg, Spielberg. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this in the trailer, but they added in the Iron Giant as like a major part of the story. Yes. yes please and thank you. Oh, weird. Yeah, really quickly, Cracked, I watched a Cracked video and they brought this up. We need to look up how these licensing rights work because, and I've oh, Belinda, you and well. I talked about this. There are so many references in the trailer alone. Like, why isn't every movie a mashup of everything that I love? Because if Spielberg, <laughs> if Steven Spielberg calls you and says, hey, can I use your character in a movie? Are you going to say no? <laughs> Take it. Take the whole movie. Wreck-It Ralph got away with it. Oh, you're right, Keith. Wreck-It Ralph. Good. Yeah, good call. All right. Anyway, that was a quick quick uh, side note i wanted to bring up okay, no, but so, you're you're absolutely right yeah. but then again it's like how does this work and like how how the f do magnets work how <laughs> because like and i think also mina we talked about like written description and visual description mm -hmm. might be, be because rough. an entire chapter is dedicated to rush 2112 right. and then we already know in the trailer the music over the trailer is tom mm -hmm. sawyer yeah so. Which, by the way, isn't on 2112. God! Oh. It's on Moving Pictures, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's on Moving Pictures, which is my favorite album. It's also been stuck in my head for the past week because I've been reading this. Has <laughs> anyone noticed how weird it is that a band called Rush can keep a consistent tempo? <laughs> oh, boy. Was it like fast-paced rock? That's because Neil Peart <laughs> is a god! <laughs> So, Keith, I heard that you feel really good about the Oasis as a game. You'd want to play this game, right? <laughs> no, that is not true. That is not true at all. <laughs> that, you, that you are totally into this and that you want to pay someone to make this so that way you can take part in it. Absolutely not. That is the opposite of how I feel. Really? That is, yeah. You know Doing what, Keith? Work. Tell me about it, stud. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> Oh, wait, was that a Grease callback? Yes! Yes, <laughs> yes it nice. was. Uh, you know, it is currently, what's today's date, October 14th, yes. 2017. You know, we are in the midst of uh, the uh, the Star Wars Battlefront 2 beta just closed, and there was all this controversy regarding loot boxes and, you know, is it pay to win? The Oasis is the most blatantly pay to win piece of crap video game that I have ever heard about. <laughs> Everything you could ever want to do in this game costs real world money. Even things like traveling, like it's there's no player skill involved at all. Like I, like yes, I guess if you wanted to 
find the Easter egg, you'd have to be good at Chalice, you'd have to have War Games memorized, you'd have to be good at Tempest, but as far as just existing in the Oasis, like, that's fine as a simulation, but there's no, it, like, it's like No Man's Sky, there's no real game there. What I think is interesting, though, is that Halliday made sure to put the first gate on Ludus, which is where all of the students start out, start out. So in that respect, he made certain that kids did not need money to get into the contest. And what he got um, from completing the first gate on Ludus did get him enough to be able yes. to start a real journey. So I think GSS charged, but Halliday, I think, was... He was like the Tesla of gaming. Yeah. I don't think Halliday wanted to charge for anything. One thing that, that I thought was important to, to note is that the uh, GSS were the uh, were the ones that kept on upping the uh, mm-hmm. the travel costs. Um, Bella, exactly. you had something for this, right? Oh no, I just wanted to say that that was a very Willy Wonka move. Yes, because like in in the movie, I got a golden in Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory, at the very end, Willy Wonka tells Charlie, "From the beginning, I wanted to find a child." to mm-hmm. win you know when he reveals that it was all a game and you know he was basically weeding out you know literal bad yeah. eggs bad eggs yeah and Ooh, and he's another good hero's journey yes oh i love willy wonka that's such a pure <laughs> movie i love it except and, for when it's terrified except for when it's terrified. yes but um but he says right he's pretty much admits to charlie he's like i wanted to find a child to take mm-hmm. over my factory because only a child would have like the purest intentions and an mm-hmm. adult would just want to turn it into something dirty and well not dirty yeah. but like I'm, I'm sure everybody gets commercial yeah 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 so i think to your point mina to put the first gate on ludus where mm-hmm. almost every you know young adult goes to school mm-hmm. on the oasis holiday was essentially ensuring that a kid would start yes. it and maybe eventually win the whole thing and i think that spoke to the childlike nature of Halliday himself. Yeah. I, I I mean, everything that you've said is accurate, but I feel like it kind of misses the point a little bit. Like, talking about the contest specifically, yes. I mean, it was... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The contest specifically was set up so that someone, so that money wouldn't be required to win it. I agree. It was put on a school planet and a, for- mm-hmm. a small fortune was given to the first person to get the copper key to set them up for the rest of the journey. But I mean, the Oasis wasn't originally brought out to be this contest. It was brought out to be an MMORPG. Right, right. You just brought up exactly what I wanted to say. Okay. Right, like, like, you know, like, no one, when's the last time you heard someone talk about Second Life? Like, World of Warcraft is as popular as ever, but no one cares mm-hmm. about Second Life. No. Except the people who do, and then they really care about Second Life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you just led perfectly into the one point that I wanted to add with this. They talk about how the Oasis currency is the only currency that has consistent value. Yeah, it's the strongest. But that's after five years of people trying to find hundreds of billions of dollars. Now that that contest is over, now that that fortune doesn't exist and there's no onus to go through and do everything you can to get more powerful to try and figure out where the Easter egg is, I mean, what are the odds that the currency in the Oasis isn't going to completely crash in value now that there isn't hundreds of billions of dollars at stake. Plus, I, I'm i pretty sure Wade is going to make everything affordable. Yeah. Knowing his background and what he went through and just all of his experience, Wade will, will make everything affordable. And if the sequel ever happens, it might be 
him dealing with that economic crash. But that but that leads into another topic that I wanted to discuss. The uh, the stop button. Yeah. Perfect. That was, yeah. that was next on, on the on the structure. The big red button. So at the end of the book, Alarak appears, Anna, Anna. Uh, makes a Parzival a god within the Oasis, and he shows him a switch to completely delete the Oasis. Just get rid of all the source code, just 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 get rid of the whole thing. So the questions I want to ask are why does the Oasis have such a switch in the first place? Why did Holiday put that in? Why did Holiday Holiday give that to the winner of the contest? And under what circumstances would Wade want to hit that button? I can answer the first part of that. Uh-huh. I, I've got an answer for the first part of that. Holiday, I I would bet my cats <laughs> that Holiday programmed that end button when he was diagnosed as terminal. Yes. When he knew he was going mm-hmm. to die. Mm-hmm. And when he was looking back on his life and saying, wow. I really should have spent more time in the real world. He absolutely says, he says, Wade, let me give, Parzival, let me give you a piece of advice. And he says that when I was dying, I realized that I had spent too much time playing video games and not enough time with people. Exactly. And I think that's when he programmed the the big red button because I think he knew at some point, I think that the reason that he called, because he says, Ogden Morrow says, you know, I'm not sure why he reached out to me when he did. I'm sure why he reached out to him when he did. It's because he realized way too late that Morrow was completely right. That the Oasis had become something big and gross. It had become an escape from the real world that kept people from loving the people around them. Here, I have a quotation. Okay. So this is, he shows him the button and then he says, I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I didn't know how to connect with the people there. I was afraid for all my life, right up until I knew it was ending. That was when I realized, as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the only place where you can find true happiness. Because reality is real. Do you understand? And I actually don't think that Wade understood. I think that he temporarily is understanding because, you know, he wanted to get the girl. Because all of those movies from the 80s end yes. with the protagonist getting the girl. But throughout the book, Wade repeatedly mentions how much he resents the fact that the things that he owns in the Oasis are fake. And then in real life, he doesn't have much. And at one point, he orders one of those haptic dolls. Oh, God. <laughs> and yeah. Oh, yeah. ends up hating himself and giving it back. And I think that was the most obvious point when I was like, oh, he's pretty sick of the Oasis. And, massive spoiler, he was contemplating suicide at one point. Yeah. He oh, was, yeah, yeah, he yeah. He was, I, 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 I only want to touch on this because I don't want to get mm-hmm. too deep into this yeah, part yeah. of the conversation, but but he had a plan. Yes. And that is the most volatile point in someone who is having those types of thoughts, mm-hmm. is when they start planning. And it is really scary mm-hmm. reading that yeah and and i think that it was almost dangerous putting the idea of a plan out there but i understand why he did it it's extremely irresponsible of ernest klein to bring it up and then never address it again either Mm. i think that was i think that is a huge marker that ernest klein doesn't do his research doesn't think about what he's putting out there and just wanted to write a fun novel and then very lazily sprinkled it in with deeper things. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, so, wow, what a downer. Sorry. Okay, let's bring it back to the positive. I'm, I'm flipping the order at the request of Bella. I think it's better this way. Um, I disagree, but I'm doing this for you because I because of the specific reason why I understand. So, so Mina 
Who's your favorite character in the book? <laughs> uh, favorite character is obviously H. Yep. yep, that's what I had written down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would have rather read a book, this book from H's perspective, even if she wasn't the main protagonist, even if she wasn't the scoreboard leader. I'd rather read about her story and everything she went through because reading about a queer woman of color being told by her mother that she has to pretend to be white in order to get respect and then seeing her face in injustice and rejection from that same mother is absolutely fascinating. Mm. I would love to know what H was feeling when talking about girls with Wade and thinking, would Wade still be comfortable having this conversation with me Mm -hmm. if he knew that I was a woman? Yep. Yeah, even if it was the exact same story and Wade still was the one that got the egg, I agree. I think that it would be... But then again, I wouldn't trust Ernest Cline to write that novel. No, 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 no. no. I want someone else to write that book. I'll do it. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet we could find really good fan fiction. I bet we could. So, Bella, we know yours. Keith, who is your favorite character in the book? Let's skip right over. You know, there's a couple directions I could go with this. I feel kind of crappy because we spent a good chunk of this podcast talking about how creepy he is, but my first instinct, honestly, is to say Wade. I think that's fair. No, that's completely reasonable. I mean, it's really easy to dump on the main character because they say the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, he figured out, he was the second person to figure out that the copper key was on Ludus. He was the first person to actually get the copper key. Can we just talk about how badass that stunt of him um, going into infiltrating IOI? Oh yes. my God. IOI. Yeah, that was like really like cool. first of all, just you know, we talk about how this is a dystopian society, but we never really talk about how it's dystopian. Indentured employment is a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I think and if if a half an hour of the movie isn't like a spy thriller when he's infiltrating IOI, it'll be a missed opportunity. Agreed. So I do like Wade as a character overall. I think there's some some really cool stuff in there. Yeah. The other thing I want to say, the other thing I was leaning towards was actually uh, James Halliday. Because that idea of just wanting other people to be obsessed with the same things that I you're obsessed that. with, I can so relate to that. I get that. You know, I kind of got yeah. a little bit of that with my, my Street Fighter rant earlier. <laughs> What's your feeling about StarCraft? <laughs> I am a huge fan. To get across how much Keith loves StarCraft, he, he had been trying to, to get me to to play StarCraft for a while. And it finally got to a point where I was deciding between getting StarCraft or picking up the game King of Tokyo. And Keith's copy of King of Tokyo is still here because (laughs) he said, if you buy StarCraft, I will leave King of Tokyo at your house until you buy King of Tokyo. And I haven't gotten around to buying it yet. And God, he, he lived up to his word with that. And he was willing to do that just to get me yeah. to experience something that he loves. And that's cool. My favorite character is Agnamaro. Yeah, he's hmm. a fun one. Agnamaro by far is my favorite character because not only does he have this presence, this ability to be everywhere mm-hmm. and do anything. His, he could have very easily gone in and just spent his life trolling IOI. <laughs> he has super user. He could have, we see Wade do it after he clears the gate. He could have just walked around and every time he saw an IOI avatar, he could have just mass select dead. Yeah. But he didn't. The only time he ever actively fought against IOI mm-hmm. employees is when they they interrupted his birthday party. His party. I love which that. Which I totally get. But he stood back and he watched and he waited and he sent them messages 
through the TV saying, don't tell anyone who you are. Mm -hmm. Bad stuff's going to happen. I'm actually surprised he wasn't there during the chat link session and didn't do anything about that. That's one thing that... Oh my god, you guys. Simon Pegg is playing Ogden Morrow? Yes, I was yes. literally just looking that up who was playing Oh yeah, Ogden. no, it's Simon Pegg, yeah. Oh my god! I wonder, love I wonder if Morrow would have actually let Sorrento get the egg. And I wonder, you know, they were closing up behind Wade in the very end. You know, we don't know whether or not Ogden Morrow did anything to slow them down. That's true. He could have. Ooh, I definitely want to read a short story from his point of view. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And when things were getting down to the grind and lives were in danger, that's when he finally came out from behind the veil uh -huh. and said, look, I'm sorry that I've been invading your privacy. And I, I understand that, that you're, that you, you would rightfully, you could rightfully be upset about this, but I think this is finally something that I can help with. He wasn't going to sit by and let them fight for their lives while trying to like po possibly die, trying to protect the company and the integrity of, of Halliday's vision. This was what Halliday wanted. Mm -hmm. He wanted him to protect the integrity of the contest. Yeah. And so I think that it was definitely, you know, the right time for him to come out and do this. I hope that he did not, he was not in the room when the chat link session happened because if he was and he saw what happened and with IOI trying to kill Wade and didn't immediately try to leak that information, then that was a huge misstep, misstep yeah. by him. No, huge I don't misstep think by him. there. And, but yeah. also, if he wanted to keep the integrity of the contest, like, this is something that happens with, like, documentarians is that they don't get involved with mm -hmm. their subjects. Regardless of what's happening. But I think that but, that was an ex example of Morrow having something in common with Halliday. Because I think that as a human being, if someone is trying to kill a teenager, that if you're not acting so because you want to preserve the integrity of the contest. So you're saying you have a moral issue with I have it. a moral issue. Okay. I think that it's possible that, that Morrow could have been in the room when the chat link session happened with Nolan Sorrento and Wade. And I think that if he was in that room and he didn't immediately make public the information about him trying to kill Wade, I think that he he did a disservice because That's the true. whole point at the end of the contest was that Halliday wanted people to focus on what is real in the real world. And, and if he was in the room and he didn't prioritize stopping people getting killed in the real world because he wanted to see the contest play out, I think that's messed up. Mm. But I don't think that he was in that room. I don't think so no, either. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, because I think he would have done something because Ogden Morrow is an awesome character. Mm -hmm. I agree. So we talked about, you know, how the documentarian doesn't want to get too involved with their subject. This is a situation where no one drew any dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the next... Uh, Legion discussion needs to be on about, uh, about American Vandal. Yes. I am so yep. down for that. Yes, I will. Yeah, we'll um, call it, and we'll 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 borrow the title from the document. We'll call it American Fandle. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so, Mina. Yes. We're gonna have to start with you again to yeah. verify if you both had. And the I'm same gonna get okay. Thing. Wait, I don't know if we were recording at this point, but I had a feeling that Mina and I would have the same exact mm -hmm. answer for these two questions, and I wrote mine down to keep my integrity. Yes. So far, fave character was the same age yeah mm -hmm. so mina what was your favorite moment in the book <laughs> i'm laughing because i know it's gonna be the same thing my favorite moment 
<laughs> the one moment that made me tear up <laughs> was, I'm laughing because I know Belinda's is going to be the same, <laughs> H revealing herself. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I'm crumpling up my paper and I'm throwing it across the room. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like even though it was from Wade's point of view, that was an amazing example of what it feels like to come out to someone that means a lot to you yeah. and being afraid that they won't accept you. Yeah. And then Wade, problematic though he may be, handles it perfectly. Yeah. He really does. And he even says is that after they get after he gets over the initial what? Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Exactly. And exactly. I think that Wade is a problematic character. I think that Wade is a great friend. Yes. He's yeah, he's a great friend. He immediately accepts H for who she is and what she looks like. Was a mm-hmm. And the fact that nothing changes and the fact that they slip into their old friendship. Yes. The fact that literally nothing changes between their friendship. And H is still the same charismatic, funny person that she projected. The only thing that was different in the Oasis was her skin color and her gender. And it's great. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely right. I teared up a little too, Mina. Like I said earlier, (laughs) I didn't know until the second. Can Can I make a confession? Yeah. Sure. I didn't realize the black woman in the car was H until he noted the 2012 shirt. That's a fair assumption. Interesting. Yeah, that's a fair assumption to make because you're like, oh, are you taking me to are H? You, are you a friend of H's? Or... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, the then you saw the 2012 shirt. I'm like, oh, 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 wow. <laughs> it's a good reveal. I will yes. give him that. That was a good reveal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Keith, Yo. what was your favorite moment in the book? That's hard. That's what she said. It's a toss-up between him meeting Anorak after getting the egg or finally meeting Artemis at the very end. And both of them I like for the same reason because that's when he kind of figures out that there is more to the life outside the Oasis. And of course, you know, the meeting of of Artemis and the whole, you know, female pricing we've talked about in depth already, but that realization that this, this kid who spent so much of his life and his time and his energy in this game finally realizes that there's more going on outside. I thought that was a, you know, especially for someone like me who's admittedly spent way too much time of the first 30 years of his life playing video games. I think that was a really powerful message and I think that really spoke to me. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I love that. I love that very much. Also, uh, Sorrento, the reveal of Sorrento as Mechagodzilla was pretty sick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. That's a, he's a very good villain. Yes. Sorrento, yeah. very good villain. It reminds me of in Big Hero 6 when they set up Alistair Cray to be the big bad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think if Wade had taken one of IOI's first offers of working for them to get towards the egg, do you think they would have actually taken him in and not blown up his trailer? Or do you think it was a death sentence from the beginning? It was a death, death sentence. sentence from the, the, beginning. Only th- the only offer that he probably should have just taken since they got it almost immediately following was telling them how to get to the Bronze Cave. Because right. at that point, like hindsight is twenty twenty, but almost immediately after that, the floodgates open, IOI gets yeah. the Bronze Key, and it doesn't make them win. It gets them close. But I think that he could have done that. However, if he had told them before it all went public, 
then Daito and Shoto wouldn't have gotten there before they blocked it off. We know that... Actually, no, because Daito and Shoto got in for the same reason that they did with finding the Bronze Key. So it's almost like telling them how to get to the Bronze Key would have almost been null because they got it almost immediately after the conversation. Right. But how could he have known that? I mean, I wasn't I wasn't asking about, you know, the, the impact of the, the larger game overall. I, th- I was wondering if they would have actually gone through with blowing up the stacks and killing Wade's family. Oh, I think they definitely would yeah. have blown up the stacks after they gotta, that. Because they got to keep their prisoner trapped. I would say that my favorite moment probably would have to be because of how cathartic it was, even though it wasn't game ending, um, when Wade destroyed 655321. I'm not going to say Sorrento, because <laughs> Sorrento came back in another avatar, yeah, but yeah, taking yeah. him out with the Specium Ray, destroying the head of Mechagodzilla, and taking out Sorrento's avatar, which was like his totem, that was extremely cathartic. But I think that about covers it. And I also think mm-hmm. that we just beat you guys <laughs> in terms of episodes that went very long. Ooh, can mm-hmm. I have one more question. It's going to be a quick one. Okay. If you could make your own world on Oasis based on a particular piece of pop culture, what would it be? I'd do a Homestar Runner world. There would be the stick, Bubs to have his concession stand, Strong Baddie would be a thing. <laughs> this is tough because... You know what? I'm going to go with my most recent obsession. I would I would make a world that's like the gameplay in Destiny. Because I've been playing that a lot in the last week. And usually when I go to a new obsession, I don't go back to the previous one as far as games go. Mm-hmm. But I started playing Shadows of War, which is amazing. I tried to do a Twitch stream, but my only viewers were you guys. <laughs> but... I actually went back to Destiny, and I'm going to go back to Shadows of War because it's an amazing game too, but Destiny's a lot of fun, and I like it a lot. Um, Second place, very close second place, would be the planet Angel Grove (laughs) because I want me a Megazord. I love Power Rangers growing up. I can answer mine pretty quickly. Yeah, go for it. Harry Potter. Nice. Oh, I'm an idiot. I take back my answer and I steal Bella instead. Nope, too late, too late. Too late, nope, you put it out there. Yep. I want magic. Mm -hmm. I want... Hogwarts. Unicorns. Mm-hmm. I want. I want to go to Hogwarts. I want to be mm-hmm. able to make potions. Mm-hmm. I want a cat that is not an a hole. Mm-hmm. I want an owl to deliver <laughs> my mail. I want. I want to be adopted by the Weasleys mm-hmm. and have Molly take care of me because mm-hmm. she would. I just. I want all of that. You okay. know how they have the Tyrell building as a built-in available source code yeah. in the game? Hogwarts. Because it's one of favorite things? Hogwarts. Would it be Hogwarts or would it be the Burrow? Hogwarts. Hogwarts. I feel like Hogwarts is too special to be everywhere. No, I want to live in a world full of castles. The... Can, I, can I change my answer? Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, no. <laughs> just just Bella, your, your use of the word magic got me thinking. I think I would have planets based on the uh, the planes from Magic the Gathering. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. I knew that's what you were going to say as soon that's as you said that. That's a good one. Dominaria plane, a Ravnica plane, a Zendikar plane. I would have a patrol hound to be my wove muffin. <laughs> I went completely obscure with that, but... Uh... <laughs> okay, so... Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank Burn, Keith. I can't say Lisa Frank because that would get nauseating pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> Just neon colors 24-7. <laughs> so I'm going to go with the movie Labyrinth. Yeah, it would be... That would be amazing. There'd be David Bowie's and cod pieces everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and giant poppets. 
the Jim Henson creatures. Yes, all the yes. Jim Henson creatures, and our buildings would defy the laws of physics, and the world would be like an M.C. Escher painting. And you would just wear like a beautiful mm-hmm. white flowy dress yep. all the time. Exactly. I, uh, what about a planet, planet Diesel? Everything would be a combination of the Fast and the Furious series <laughs> and Pitch Black. <laughs> It would be a chaos zone. Obviously, there would be magic and technology. Oh, I would not. Also, Those I would NASCAR not be. Movies. I, my the my Harry Potter world. I would I would definitely have be magic, but like you can't no combat. Aww. Oh, so you say no PvP? No, you can't have it be no PvP. Have, Shut up, Matt. I want to live in a no. No, PvP the reason world. it can't be no PvP is because I want to have uh, wizard you duels. Have, you can have wizard duels, but you can't die. Okay. No, because you can't attack each other in an OPVP zone. It keeps everything separate. It's got to be a consensual wizard duel. Or it could be like that world in Rick and Morty where no one can die. Yes! I like that. Except yes. when they do. Or how about a no PvP world for most of the world, but have like a wizard-esque Thunderdome in which PvP is allowed, and it's the only area where PvP is allowed, and the stands to watch. This is an argument. This is an argument I'm actually listening to. <laughs> so it would to right be now. like Hunger Games within the Harry Potter world. <laughs> Do you know what else no. would be fun, you guys? What? An MCU one. Oh, yeah. Planet Earth, but you'd also get like the Guardians, like the whole universe, because of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Who would win in a fight, Rocket Raccoon or the squirrels from oh, Rick and Morty? <laughs> there are more of the squirrels. There are more of the squirrels. Yeah, but Rocket is... Rocket's a Neil. <laughs> I do. Annihilator. I love Rocket. Rocket, Rocket is cybernetically enhanced and much more advanced than the squirrels. I, I think it's... Also, Rocket is funnier. That's true. Plus, I would get to date Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> would and we, and we finally understand Mina's true motivation. She just wants to date Chris Evans. <laughs> Is he single that's, right now? Okay, he said date. I heard the word bathe at first and was really Wait. creeped out. That, <laughs> that's just bathe. Ne- next, that's yeah. And Bella and Mina. Sensual sponge bath. Bella, that's part of it, though. Bella that's and Mina real. would be recreating the first Avengers movie. Uh, Bella would be, I, I'm not sure who, but Mina would be Bruce Banner. And she'd turn to Bella and say, that's my secret, Bella. I'm always salty. If Mina is is Bruce Banner, I don't know. In terms of maybe awkwardness, maybe I would be Thor because he's just so awkward. Aww. Oh, I understand that reference. <laughs> I yeah. I'd probably be Hawkeye because I have no superpowers. Aww. <laughs> well, I then only, you could be Iron Man. He only brought twelve hour arrows, and you took out twelve <laughs> bad guys. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are approaching in recording time. The episode's not going to be that long, as long. It's going to be long, but we are approaching the two hours of recording mark. Oh my okay. god! So I'm thinking it's about that time that we wrap it up. So thank you for listening. If you want to find us on social media, we're on we're on Facebook. You look for Geek and Warriors. Instagram, Twitter, Geek and Warriors. I try to cross post fun stuff, and Bella does a lot of the posting for that as well. Mm-hmm. You can email us the Geek and Warriors at gmail.com it's the geek and warriors yeah for the email geek and warriors was taken so we are the geek and warriors <laughs> but keep an eye out because i've actually been considering taking a page out of the amazon's book and changing our facebook to geek and warriors podcast yeah so if you look for geek and warriors and don't find it it might be there you can find uh, how we are connected to our sister podcast through geek and legion which is on all the social media but mostly you'll find it on the facebook page which is just geek and legion and if you want to find the amazons which you should 
Oh, if you want to find the Amazons, we're on Facebook at Geek and Amazons Podcast. We're on Twitter at Geek and Amazons, Instagram at Geek and Amazons, and you can email us at geekandamazons at gmail.com. I'd also like to take a second and plug our Patreon. We have a Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash geekendlegion. Patreon is a fun little website where you can pledge a monthly donation and it goes directly back into the podcast. It will help keep our servers up. It will maybe afford us the opportunity to provide merchandise. And depending on the amount of your monthly donation, you will get perks like uh, pick, like if you donate enough, you will get to pick an episode topic on Warriors or uh, Amazons. And if we reach a certain amount of monthly donations, we will do a special, like we'll do like an AMA or we'll release a previously recorded drunk episode. Yeah, that's, uh, that's still there. It's in the ether. <laughs> it's still there. So basically we'll go right back into the podcast and yep. you will be a contributor to that. So it's patreon.com slash Legion. You can okay. also find a link to that on our social media. Correct. And uh, on that same token, the Geek End Legion is now looking for sponsors. Yes. So if you would like to sponsor us, put some money into the show, we're offering, you know, ad space in our podcast. We're, we're looking to sell out, y'all. We want to <laughs> upgrade our, our tech. We want to be able to get con passes to be able to get more information for you. So if you would like to advertise in either or both of the shows, send an email to geekendlegion at gmail.com and I'll get back to you right away. We're probably going to get a new email address. But that wraps it up. Thank you for listening to another episode of Geek and Warriors with the Geek and Amazons. For Geek and Warriors, I'm Matt. I'm Keith. And from the Amazons. I'm Bella. I'm Mina. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me.